And he was beginning kindergarten the next week. And his mother, his dad was there on Sunday, but he was an over-the-road truck driver, so he didn't get to come during the meeting. But his mom brought him every night. His name was Benjamin. He sat there, and since he was beginning kindergarten, she was teaching him to write his letters. And she brought his tablet, you know, with the lines on it and the big number two pencil. And she would write some word across the top of the page, and he would spend his time copying that, you know, over and over down the page. One night I had been preaching for a little while, and he leaned over to his mother and said, Right, stop. <laughs> he didn't even bother to copy it. He just held it up, you know. <laughs> so if you get finished listening before I get through speaking today, we'll wind this up. I'm, I'm so happy to be here. First time to be to Panama Street, and I've always loved this church from a distance, and I'm glad to be here for just a few hours today and be a part of this. What is your life? James 4.14. That's what we're considering today. We're going to look at it from a broad perspective, a spectra from early life all the way through. We're going to observe time as our as we entered time at birth and we exit time at death, eternity on either side. God invented time. The evening and the morning were the first day, Genesis 1.5. God in... Well, you think about Genesis 1 and how time was began to be measured. God's outside of time, 2 Peter 3.8. But He made time for us because we only have a certain amount of time to prepare to go and live with Him. So you have a day, that evening and the morning, but that's the length of time it takes the earth to spin once on its axis. Then God put a moon in orbit around the earth, and the length of time it takes to encircle the earth one time, that's a month. God put a sun in the sky and put us in ellipsis around it, and the time that it takes us to travel that distance is one year, 365 days. So there you have a day, a month, and a year, but what about a week? Well, that's the time of length of time that God chose to use. He could have done it in a second, but He chose to use six days to work and to create the world and one day to rest. And that's the basis of our day, our week, our month, and our year. And that's how we measure our lives. Now, so far, God has made about 3,190,000 days. About 313,000 weeks, 6,000 years. Now, you and I, we're not a part of all those, obviously, but God's going to give us about 29,000 days, about 4,000 weeks, about 80 years. Now, that's if we live a normal lifespan. Some of us will not approach that. Others may go a little beyond it. But we have some number of days, months, and years to live in service to God. And God also made the seasons at the beginning. Spring, summer, fall, and winter. There are parts of the earth, the closer you are to the equator or the poles, the less distinct are the seasons. But we, thankfully, live in a part of the world where we have four distinct seasons. And thus we'll be able to relate to the lesson, lessons today as they progress because that's what we're going to use as a metaphor for life. For every year is is like one life, or every life is like a year. You go through the spring, you go through the summer, you go through the fall, you go through the winter, and then it comes to an end. And as I look across the audience this morning, I see that we have some from all the seasons here. Each season is represented, some in the early days of life, some in the young adult years, the middle years, and then some in their senior years. And so each one will have a lesson 
But it will be so designed, I hope, that each one of us, when we get to our section, will find something especially helpful for us. But we will also benefit from the verses that we will observe from the other uh, stages or seasons of life because all of them overlap to some degree. So now let's go into the spring of life. We're going to define that from age 12 to age 25. Age 12 because that's when Jesus began to be about His Father's business. Luke 2, 40-52 describes that, and we'll come to that passage after we finish from Psalm 90. And then we're going to progress as the day goes through, and I'll give you the ages for the others. But let's go to Psalm 90, because until we learn to value time, we will never use life wisely. We have to understand time and, and that our lives only are effective in time. You know, Benjamin Franklin said, Dost thou love life? Then do not squander time, for that's the stuff life is made of. Your life is made of time. You know, and when your time ends, your life ends. Or you could say it the other way. So Psalm 90 teaches us about time. The earlier we learn the lesson of Psalm 90, the better off we are. I used to preach a lesson on Psalm 90 in my gospel meetings but it was so depressing to those who are old, I just quit preaching it. You know, if, it's, if I'm talking to young people, I love to talk about Psalm 90. And we have a lot of young people here today. And this lesson, this chapter shows us the value of time and how quickly it passes. This is the, this is the only psalm that Moses wrote. Therefore, it is likely the oldest of the psalms. Moses lived about 500 years before David and Solomon and Asaph who wrote most of the psalms. So here you have a psalm that was written and circulated among the Jews for about five centuries before they had a book of psalms like we enjoy reading today. And it was written on the occasion, thought to be written on the occasion when the children of Israel had sent out the twelve spies and they came back and ten had an evil report. They saw giants in the land and walled cities were not able to take it. Those two faithful spies, Joshua and Caleb, Caleb stilled the people and said, let us go up at once and take it, for we are well able to take it. But the people believed the ten spies instead of the two spies, and God pronounced a judgment against them. The people had complained that you brought us away from Egypt out here in the wilderness, and our children are going, to be, are going to die. They're going to be a prey out here. And God says, I tell you what, none of you are going to see the promised land that are above 20 years old, 20 years of age, but those children that you said would be a prey in the wilderness, they will get to go. And so everyone from 20 years old and upward, save for Joshua, Caleb, and Moses, died, and, and the Levites, who were not included in that number as far as I can tell, died in the, in the wilderness. And let's read about this. Uh, see, get, go ahead and read some Scriptures, then we'll talk a little bit more about how that played out. Notice in verse 9, For all our days, I'm in Psalm 99, 90 verse 9, are passed away in thy wrath. We spend our years as a tale that is told. Have you ever been sitting around a campfire? Someone begins to tell a story, a good storyteller, and he weaves the yarn, and you just become so wrapped up in it that time, or someone who's preaching is a great speaker, and you just become so enamored with what's being said, and when it's over, you say, There's, there's no, that was five, you know, that's the way life is. Life gets started and then it just seems like it's over that fast. Anybody in here old enough to remember VCS tapes? Uh, cassette tapes? VCR? 
Yeah? Uh, these, these kids won't know anything about this, but do you remember when you used to rent those, uh, rent those things? They had little stickers on them, please be kind, rewind, you know, or don't be fine, rewind. So you'd rewind it before you send it back. And when it starts off, it's going like really slow. <laughs> and then toward the end, it goes... That's the way life is. It seems like it's two years between Christmases when you're these kids' age, you know? Oh, but once you get to be uh, the age of some of these guys over here, it's like Christmas every six months. <laughs> and once you get to be my age, it's every other month that Christmas comes around, our birthdays are there. That's the way life it just goes faster toward me. But really, a day is just as valuable when you're 20 years old as it is when you're 80 years old. Because you won't ever get it back either time. That's what Moses is about to teach us. Let's see in verse 10. The days of our years are threescore years and ten. And if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, so translated 70 or 80 years. Now that's an unusual way to express that though. The days of our years. He could have said the days of our lives or the years of our lives, but why say the days of the years of our lives? Because... Life, life is measured, is dispensed a day at a time, but it passes a year at a time. You know, we have, all we have control over is a day, but we measure it in terms of years. So how old are you? You know, we don't say, well, I'm, you know, 18,000 days old or, um, you know, whatever age you are, because that's how we measure it. So you can only spend life by the day, but it passes by the year. The days of our years are threescore and ten, and if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, yet is their strength labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. Who knoweth the power of that anger? Can you imagine having been in that generation that received that judgment from God? You know, when it says that life is threescore years, and, or fourscore, threescore and ten, or fourscore years, there's two interpretations of that. One has to do with the immediate context of the psalm, which is probably the, what it meant when it was first given. And that is, that generation of Israel was only going to live. The maximum life or shelf life was going to be 80 years. Now, if you were 20 years of age, let's say 21, and you were not going to live a natural life, the oldest you would get to be would be 61, right? Really, the 38 years, but let's just round off the numbers and say you'd get to be 60. If you were 30 years of age, you lived 40 years, you'd get to be 70. If you were 40 years of age, the maximum number of years you could live would be to be 80 years of age. And if you were 50, then you would be of the, those that died during the earlier years of that 40 years of wonder. You know, they didn't all live 40 years and they all died at the same time. They were all dying all along. So I figured it up one time. I think there is 64 funerals a day. For 40 years, that was a sad time to live. And that was the punishment for unbelief. And so here you have this generation that learned how short life is because God judged them because they did not have faith that He could give, give them the land that He promised to give them. But there is um, another way to interpret this, which is the way we normally use it, and that is that man's shelf life generally is 70 or 80 years. And that wasn't always the case. And you go back to Genesis, in Genesis chapter 5, the table of nations, you have these early patriarchs who lived extraordinarily long lives, at least by our standards. I mean, you go through those numbers, 905, 910, 912, 905, 
962, 969 with Methuselah. I mean, nine centuries. These, these men are living long lives. The average in Genesis 5 is 857 years. It's a long time. Now, just after Genesis 5, of course, the flood comes. Perhaps a, a water vapor canopy that protected before that was no longer there after the flood. Some would postulate that's the reason the lifespan begins to go down. When you read the next table of uh, genealogical records in Genesis 10, it's dropped to 323 years on average. And then you go into the four famous patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, 175, 180, 147, 110. So now there's dropped significantly again. And uh, Joseph, 110 years, when he died at 110 at the end of the book, that's the shortest anybody lived in the book of Genesis, of whom we have a record uh, who lived a natural life, 110 years. That still would be the longest life here today. But you go a little bit farther in the Old Testament. You get down to the time of David. But Saul, David, Solomon, United Kingdom, you have what, 72, 70, and 60? Some of those are not exact because we don't know exactly, but you're down to about the length of time that we have today. The average lifespan on planet Earth right now, 71 years. In America, 78.8, so a little bit above. But for the first time recently, it's begun to go down instead of up because of the drug epidemic. So many people are dying early that it's actually lowering the lifespan expectancy of Americans. But we go back to this. And the main point is this. You and I are not going to live forever. You and I have but a, a, a 70 or 80 year span that we're going to be able to do. All we'll ever do in this world. Now if you look at that, you could either say, oh, that's a long time. You know, when you're a kid, it seems like uh, 70 years <laughs> might as well be forever. I mean, that... But then when you get to be 50, and you think, you know, I've lived more years than I'm going to live, it doesn't seem so long anymore. It would be long if you compare it to the animal kingdom. I mean, the other creatures that God made, a horse lives to be 30 years, a mule 50 years, an elephant 70 years, an eagle 20 years, a raven 17 years, a squirrel 18 years. You know a squirrel lived 18 years? I didn't know that until I looked it up. Uh, a bee and a butterfly live to be... I'm speaking of scientists over here, so you don't answer. <laughs> About a year? You know, 70 years is a long time compared to the animal kingdom for the most part. Some lizards, tortoises, and koi fish live maybe up to 200 years. But generally speaking, 70 years that we get to live is a long time. But it's also a short time. It's a vapor that appears for a little while and vanishes away, James 4.14. Because in that 70 years you have all the time you'll ever have to prepare to meet God in judgment. To build a character like Jesus. It's also within that span of years when you will do all that you will ever do for the kingdom of God. And it's really not 70 years. You have five years when you're under tutors, or you're rather you're in your infancy, and you're not accomplishing anything towards your life goal in those preschool years. Then you have 12 to 16 years when you're under tutors, you're in school, elementary, secondary, and most of the time college. And so you're not really accomplishing your life goal during those years. So that gets you from 70 to 65 to 50. And then of those 50 years, you're going to be asleep, 16 of them. So you really only have 
34 years to do all you'll ever do for God. And that's assuming that you live to be 70, and a lot of people don't. So, we got to get busy, because life, the seasons will pass by quickly, and then we will fly away and be with God. Now, let's go to Luke chapter 2. Let's talk about the spring of life from Jesus' perspective. In Luke 2.40, you have a summary statement of Jesus' life that goes from the time He was five weeks old until He was 12 years old. One verse covers His whole childhood. And it really doesn't say anything except uh, just summarizes what was going on. Luke 2.40. I'm not going to spend much time in the first section. I want to hurry toward the end. The child grew and waxed strong and spirit filled with wisdom and grace of God was upon him. So that's Jesus' childhood. Now, at age 12, we have an incident that happened in his life that was significant, so we're told about it. And then he goes back into obscurity from 12 to about 30. Luke 3.23, he was about 30 years of age when he was baptized and began his ministry. So we have that other, those other silent years. But here we have a, a, an episode of Jesus' life when he went up to the temple in Jerusalem for the Passover feast, and he was there, and it was a significant year in a Jewish child's uh, progression. It was a milestone year, as he would have his bar mitzvah. Bar means son, Simon, son of Jonah, Simon bar Jonah. Bar mitzvah, referring to becoming a son of the law, which means that he got to participate in worship at that point. You know, it's, it's a lot like if, if a young man is baptized in a congregation at least at Jacksonville, and I suppose it's this way elsewhere, the elders or whoever's in charge of you know, saying who does what on Sundays, they'll get him up to wait on the Lord's Supper pretty soon after he's baptized. You know, he won't probably lead a prayer. He won't head it up, but they're, they're getting him involved. You see, that's what bar mitzvah was about. They, they, they became responsible under the law for keeping the law, and that's where Jesus is in Luke 2. And Jesus stays behind when His parents go home uh, they probably the women left first. Men came later, got there about uh, supper time. Yeah, they traveled in large groups. The whole town would go together generally. And so you imagine that conversation when Joseph gets there. Where's Jesus? I thought you had him. No, I don't have him. You, you've got him, right? No, I don't have him. You ever lost your kids? I've left all my kids at church before. <laughs> And the elders always bring them home, you know. You, you, you can't get rid of any kids by leaving them at church, I tell you that. I lost uh, our youngest son when he was, he's probably about five. We were at Dollywood for as long as 45 minutes of my life trying to find, find him, you know. Where is he? Who's got him? What's happening to him? Is he okay? I mean, the things that go through your mind. Can you imagine three days? A day away, a day back, and then a day looking for him in Jerusalem. He finally come up to him, find him. And, you know, from our perspective, well, they should have looked first in the temple. I mean, he's Jesus, right? But that wasn't the first place they looked. But that's where they found him, in the temple. And Luke 2, uh, they were astonished at his answers and questions, 46, 47, 48. Uh, Mary gets there. Son, can you hear the edge in her voice here? Son, why hast thou thus dealt with us? Why did you do this to us? She's I think she's angry here. Behold thy father, and I have sought thee sorrowing. The word means tormented. You have put us through it. Now, this is the only time this has ever happened in the history of the world, but you had a teenager and parents who failed to communicate. (laughs) 
You can see the surprise in Jesus' response. I mean, you can see, I can see his face. I'm a visual person. I read the Bible. I see it. Don't you do that? Some people are not visual, but I, I like to read the Bible and imagine it. I see Jesus look up and say, how is it that you sought me? What are you looking for me for? Wished you not? Did you not know that I must be about my Father's business? Not small F, big F, capital F. Father's business. His father and his real father, not his stepfather, Joseph. Those are the first words of Jesus in the Bible. It must be about my father's business. So he began at age 12 to be about his father's business. That's what the spring of life is about. It's about becoming involved in the father's business. Now, Mary kept those things in her heart. He went back with them to Nazareth and he was submissive to them. He obeyed his parents. Have you ever thought about, and this is a good point for the, for the young people in here, those who are at home under their parents, the king of the world obeyed his mother. And if Jesus obeyed his mother, then I should obey mine because the Bible tells me to do that, that it may be well with me in Ephesians 6, 2. Well, let's get down. I said all that to get us down to verse 52. And this is a summary statement of the spring of life. There are four areas that every parent and to some degree grandparent and Bible teacher needs to emphasize in the lives of children and especially teenagers and college students. These four areas are significant all the way through life and we never really get beyond them, but to be instructed about them and to begin good habits in each area as a young person is vital to a successful life. So let's read them. And Jesus increased, verse 52 in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. So Jesus increased intellectually in wisdom. Jesus was not omniscient as a child. You know, later, John, John 2.25, He won't need to know what, He won't need for men to reveal what's in them because He knows what's in them. But at this point, He did not have that. He's, he's increasing in, intellectually. He's going to school. He's learning to read. He's learning to write. He's learning to communicate. He's learning to figure Mathematically, Jesus is increasing. Do you imagine Jesus made good grades in school? Well, maybe I ask it this way. Do you think Jesus did His best in school? I would, I would think yes. And if Jesus did, I should put my feet, though they be small, in His footprints. 1 Peter 2, 21-22. I might not be an A-plus student. It's okay. But if I'm a B student, I shouldn't be satisfied with C grades. I should, do my, I should prepare myself well because these lessons that I'm being taught, they do have a purpose. They're going to help me to be able to support my family when I'm older, to be success, a success in the, in the world, be whatever it is that I choose to do. It's going to help me to be a Christian, to be able to read and to write and to help people in areas where they need help. Those things are prepared for in the young years. So he increased intellectually. Number two, he increased physically or in stature. That he was outgrowing his jeans and his shoes just like kids do today. You know, you buy them and you turn around and say, those are too short for you. You can't wear those anymore. Mom, these shoes hurt my toes. I've got to get some new shoes. You know, that happened with Jesus just like it happens with boys and girls today. He was increasing physically. But what's the lesson about that to learn? It is that we ought to take care of our physical bodies you know, a lot of damage is done to bodies in teenage years and young adult years that shows up later in life. In fact, let me give you the, 
the decades of life. Each decade has its own characteristic. This ties into it. Um, And we'll go through all these as we go through today. But the 20s are the years of expectation. Everything's in front of you. Everything's idealistic and exciting. And your whole life is in front of you in, in your 20s. Then your 30s are your years of energy. You don't realize it when you're in your 30s, but you have more energy then than you will have at any point later in your life, normal, all, all things being normal. So those are the years of building. You know, you're building your career, you're building your family, you're probably building a house, you're building a life during the 30s. 40s are the years of discovery. One man said no man ever knows himself until he's 40. The reason for that is that we now have enough um, education plus experience to really be able to understand the world and our place in it by the time we get to be 40. Now, we, we've received the education that we're going to receive both academically and professionally, whatever our job is. And we have enough experiences to know who we are. You know, what I'm good at, what I'm not good at, what my strengths are, my, what my weaknesses are. Now I see that I'm halfway through my life and now I can focus on how I can use my life productively for the kingdom of heaven and for the benefit of society. So in the 40s, those are the years of discovery. You're putting finishing touches on who you are. 50s are the years of harvest. That's the reason I I was reminded of it here. Because if you have not taken good care of yourself physically, it will begin to show in your 50s, likely. Maybe a little earlier, but not later. It will show. I mean, if uh, if if you've abused your body with alcohol and with drugs, and with promiscuity, it's going to show. Your doctor's bills are going to shoot up. Your physical stamina and ability to do what you want to do is going to be more and more limited because you've injured your body. But the other side's true. Well, let me, let me explore that a little bit more. Uh, years of harvest financially. You know, if you have um, wasted your money, and you know, there's a time in life to get. Ecclesiastes 3.4. Those are productive years when you're going to be making the most money you'll make. And there's going to come a time in your life when you're not going to make as much money as you can make when you're 40 and when you're 50. So those years, if you don't prepare like the ant, you know, lays up for the winter. If you don't, if you waste it all, you squander it. If you get a lot of bills, if you have relationships that that break apart and you have alimony to pay to this woman or this family and this one over here, that's going to affect you financially. Those years of harvest. But it's also true the other way around. You know, Galatians 6, 7, and 8, if you sow to the flesh, you'll reap corruption. But show the Spirit, you'll reap life everlasting. You'll reap the benefits in the 50s. I mean, physically, you're going to be in, in good health because you're taking care of yourself. Financially, you're probably very comfortable by, by that stage because you've put the principles that we'll talk about later today in place in your life, and it's uh, benefiting you by this time. Relationships, you'll have a good relationship with your spouse, with your children, grandchildren, friends, church members. All these principles of God that you've been putting in your life all these years, now the harvest is easy easy to see. Sixties are years of wisdom. That's when you can really serve the Lord as an elder, as a senior preacher, that other younger men come and ask your counsel. Your family looks up to you and wants to know what you think before they make big decisions. Your community may elect you to an office. You know, those are years when you can put your wisdom to use. In the 70s, those are the years of 
finishing touches. You know, you, we'll talk about the winter of life later today, but that's what we'll be talking about. And then the 80s, if you reach those, those are your years of legacy. That's when you leave your mark in the world at the end. So those decades are important, and we'll travel through them pretty rapidly today. But I said all that, now we bring it back to where Jesus took care of His body, and we need to take care of our bodies. We need to, as we're young, realize how important it is to be healthy, uh, to, to sleep well, to eat well, to exercise well, and to really not to put too much stress on the body. Those are the four things that are key to the physical man. Uh, nutrition, sleep, exercise, and stress. Not relieving stress or peace of mind. <clears throat> Number three on our list in, John, in uh, Luke 2. What time am I supposed to finish? Um, keep, me on, keep me on track, somebody here. 9.50. All right, we got time. Here we go. We'll finish this just about the right time. Let's go uh, look at wisdom and favor with God and man. So intellectually, physically, spiritually. I'm going to skip that one and go and do socially, the fourth one, and go back to it because it's the most important. Socially, you know, during those, those, uh, the spring of life, those are the most social years you'll ever enjoy. Um, you just enjoy being with people. You're all the time you know, communicating whatever way you like to communicate by speaking or talking or texting or Instagram or Snapchat, whatever it is that you use. It's just constantly, and I've got kids in that age now. They're just constantly with their friends. They want to go, they want to do. You know, when you get a little older, it's like, uh, you know, they always want to go out after Sunday night. I'm like, oh, I just preached three times and I'm just dead. I just want to go home, you know? But they want to go. They want to do. They want to be with people. I'm, I'm drained. I don't want to see anybody for a while, you know? But it's just the this. It's that stage of life. It's social. Well, there's a reason God made us that way. Because it's in that stage of life that you're going to be honing your social skills that will turn into dating, that will turn into marriage, that will turn into a strong relationship. Those things are important. And it's just like God flips the switch, turns up the volume on social on the social aspect of man during those years. And uh, during that time, we need to make sure that we learn social graces, that we, um, we put into effect, for instance, the golden rule, we treat others like we want to be treated. We are uh, people who love, which means that we treat others with respect. We don't make unfair demands of them, especially sinful demands. Um, we, a man that hath friends must show himself Friendly, Proverbs 18, 24. So we learn to, you know, children are selfish, inherently selfish, babies especially. But then as you grow up, your circle widens and you learn that there's another perspective than mine. And I have to look at it from the other person. I have to give and take. And I have to be willing to give and give often for the good of others and for the good of the group. Social experiences. We might say to parents on this, um, <clears throat> the more widely we can the more wide, widely we can show our children different social experiences, the better. You know, we don't know what their talents are. We don't know what they're going to become interested in. I might not can uh, play an instrument, for instance. But, it may be that's the gift that my child has. So, let them have that experience. I might have been a great athlete, but that might not be their strength or vice versa. You know, so give them many different experiences. Let them go to camp. Uh, you know, but keep, keep a watch on them. It's a dangerous world we live in. You know, you have to 
You can't just send them out in the world without any supervision or without any guidance, but within safe parameters, we give them a lot of different social experiences so they can develop during that time. And then spiritually, there are a lot of parents that will emphasize doing well in school. You know, you have your homework done, don't you? Don't, just before you watch TV tonight, you make sure you got all your homework done. Sunday morning, you sleep in. You know, they're not in the Bible class. Not in a Bible class. Their name's not on a chart. There's no stars by their names on Sundays or Wednesday nights. The gospel meeting comes and goes and their children are not instructed, motivated to follow Jesus. They don't read the Bible every night. They don't pray before they eat. They don't go out door knocking with the other teens when there's a door knock. They're not taught to pray to God before they go to sleep at night. You know, Jesus developed spiritually in favor with God. And we want our children, even if they don't excel in other areas, we want them to excel in all four areas. But if you had to pick one that you really want your children, or if you're old enough to understand what I'm talking about today, to set your goals to set your goal that I'm going to succeed as a Christian if I fail in everything else. Because that's the one that matters the longest. The others matter in this world, but that one will matter when the world's on fire. It'll matter when the world comes to an end. All right. I want to now move into our third point. We talked about the value of time. We've talked about these four areas to emphasize in the spring. And now let me briefly give you some points about choosing a career because that's the stage of life when you will likely choose your career because you'll go to college and then they're going to ask you what classes, what you want to major in and then you'll probably change three or four or five, six times but then by the time you graduate you're trained in some area that you will then go out and get a job in and that will be the job that you will do for the next 20, 25 or 30 years and you will earn all the money that you're likely to earn in your life doing that job, whatever it is and that will be how you support your wife and your children later on. So what are some good parameters for a job? Some people get, go into a job and they hate it. And they spend 20 years of their life getting up every morning, hating going to their job. That's not a good way to live. So make a good choice here. Here are some principles. One, career counselors will call this your right work, R-I-G-H-T, right work. And they will define that as your values matched with your talents. So what is it that you enjoy doing? What is it that you think you would, you would do if they didn't even pay you for it? And then find a way to get somebody to pay you to do that. That's a great job. That's the way preaching is for me. You know, you know they pay you for this. And I'll do it for I mean, I love it. You know, all preachers. And uh, you, you may feel that way about your job, whatever it is. Well, find something like that. Find your right work. Match your talents to your values. Matthew 25, 14 to 30, of course, talks about talents. And we all have different abilities. We also have different interests. Uh, Romans 1, 14, as much as in me is, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you to Rome also. So there's something in us. And it's different for different people. Second one, do something that honors God. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Don't choose a, God, uh, don't choose a job it's going to force you to compromise your values as a Christian. There are a lot of those. You know, I'm not going to tick off a bunch of them because some of them you're able, you may be able to find a niche in that industry. 
uh, that others have a, made a bad reputation about. But generally speaking, you need to find a job that you're not going to be constantly pressured. It's not going to be hard for you to be a Christian. You know, you wouldn't want to drive a beer truck, for instance. You know, that's not how I'm going to earn my living helping other people get drunk. It's not what, don't, don't do that. All right, the third one is, find a job that pays well enough to support a family. That's important because that's what God says you've got to do as a man. First Timothy 5, verse 8, if any provide not for his own, he's worse than infidel and is denied the faith. Number four, and there are five, but number four, Choose a job that will not interfere with your service to Christ. Now, if you know that this job, whatever it is that you're considering, is going to require you to work on Sundays, don't take it. I mean, why would you? you know, I mean, we may have a job and it may eventually mean that I have to work some Sundays. And I'm not, I'm not being a blanket statement, everybody works on Sundays as a sinner. I'm just saying, if you've got a choice, don't do that. Because that's the Lord's day. You want to be there with your family and worship. You want to be able to wait on the supper and then for them to count on you to lead the prayers. So choose a job that doesn't interfere with Sundays and Wednesdays. You know those are going to be taken up for the rest of your life. So choose a job that won't interfere with that. You know, just for instance, if you, if you have a job and you have to miss one Sunday a month, it wouldn't be very uncommon, but you, you extrapolate that over time, that's 25% of the time, you won't be able to worship God. And is that going to lower your um, ability to go to heaven? Maybe. I mean, what would you have learned or been motivated to convicted of sin during those, you know, that 25% of time? So I'm saying, make good choices. And here's something, I'll throw this in for extra. Uh, whenever you're buying your house, you've got to choose between buying a house closer to the church building or closer to where you work, buy the one closer to the church building. You say, well, I only go to church building twice a week. I go to work every day. That's right. But you don't ever want, you don't, you're going to go to work regardless because they pay you to do that. But you don't ever want to get home Wednesday nights. Man, it's so, so tired and it's so far over there. Oh, I think I just, I don't really want. No. Now get one close to the building so you don't ever have that excuse or that desire. You know, that's extra. That wasn't part of less. I just thought of it. Number five, uh, Choose a job that won't put your children in jeopardy. That's Genesis 13 and 19. Lot pitched his tent towards Sodom. You know what happened there, don't you? He lost his family because of that decision. All right, that's the spring of life. 12 to 25. We'll take our break. Lord willing, we'll come back and we'll talk about summer. 25 to 40.